Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility presents the Vermont Conversation with David Goodman, exploring ideas with innovators, changemakers, business leaders, politicians, and activists. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by the Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp, using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Green Mountain Power delivering clean, cost-effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting-edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont's schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high quality, affordable childcare in Vermont to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. And nearly 700 VBSR business members who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Learn more at www.vbsr.org. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. This year marks the 50th anniversary of Act 250, Vermont's signature land use and development law. It was passed at a time when Vermont was undergoing significant development pressure. Two new interstate highways, I-89 and 91, had recently opened, bringing unprecedented development pressure. No environmental regulations or land use controls existed in the late 1960s. So Governor Dean Davis appointed a commission to explore how to deal with these new challenges. The result was Act 250, which the legislature passed in 1970. The law provides a public quasi-judicial process for reviewing and managing the environmental, social, and fiscal consequences of major subdivisions and developments in Vermont. Fast forward 50 years to 2020. Last month, the Scott administration and the Vermont Natural Resources Council proposed a package of reforms. This reform plan has generated controversy. Here to discuss where Act 250 has been and where it is going, we have two guests. Brian Shoup is the executive director of the Vermont Natural Resources Council, and Peter Walk, was appointed just this week to be the new commissioner of the Department of Environmental Conservation. Uh, Brian and Peter, welcome both of you to the Vermont Conversation. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Uh, Thanks for having me. So, Brian, uh, VNRC has for a long time been kind of a guardian uh, of Act 250. So maybe you could just explain uh, what do you think has been the greatest benefit of Act 250 over this last half century? Well, it's had it's had many benefits for the state. Um, from an environmental standpoint, it's um, helped us conserve our uh, water quality, wildlife habitat. It, it, maybe taking a step back between what the, before I talk about what the benefits are, describe what the law is. It's it's a very broad um, set of criteria that that are used to evaluate. Um, large-scale development projects. They involve water quality, um, stormwater runoff, wildlife habitat, um, air quality, um, impact on roads, impact on community services. It goes beyond um, um, environmental impacts to look at kind of social impacts on, on communities um, and on municipal services. So it's, it's really uh, had a lot of environmental benefits in curbing the worst impacts of large-scale development and trying to fit projects into our communities rather than having them overwhelm them. Um, um, but as the years have gone by and have, have changes have been made to Act 250, it's, it's lost some of its effectiveness, and that's one of the reasons why the legislature is dealing with Act 250 this year. Hmm. <clears throat> um, at the risk of going too much into the weeds, um, and thanks to Wikipedia, I'm going to just read the 10 criteria that Act 250 considers, um, and I'll, I'll make this quick. Uh, the criteria are as follows, that a development will not result in undue water or air pollution. 
Uh, number two, has sufficient water available for the needs of the subdivision or development? Three, will not unreasonably burden any existing water supply? Four, will not cause unreasonable soil erosion or affect the capacity of the land to hold water? Five, will not cause unreasonably dangerous or congested conditions with respect to highways or other means of transportation. Six, will not create an unreasonable burden on the educational facilities of the municipality. Seven, will not create an unreasonable burden on the municipality in providing governmental services. Eight, will not have an undue adverse effect on aesthetics, scenic beauty, historic sites, or natural areas. Uh, and will not imperil uh, wildlife habitat or endangered species. Nine, conforms with the capability and development plan. And then it has a lot of subsections. And ten, it is in conf uh, it's in conformance with any local or regional plan. So, um, Peter Walk, that sounds like just about anything could get swept into one of those ten criteria. Sure, it is. Is it intentionally a broad look at um, at the impacts of a project across in the area and how it impacts uh, any number of things, ready right? from the environment to local aesthetics to local concerns about whether a municipality can handle that level of development and what it might mean for sort of their ability to provide services. So is it intentionally broad? It has gotten sort of broader over time as we've realized things that could be covered or, or should be covered and 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 weren't previously. And so um, it has is sort of expanded over time um, there. Um, but there that it is intentionally and designed to be that sort of broad look um, at, at those issues. It also came at a time when there were no when when a and r as an organization didn't exist the agency of natural resources didn't exist and so there were no and there was no environmental permitting occurring and so now we work in tandem at between act 250 and, and our permitting work um, to make sure that different environmental issues are addressed uh, that go along with some of the aesthetics and other land use concerns that are also addressed uh, brian shoop Act 250 has often been singled out as kind of a, a, land, a, a national model for environmental res, uh, uh, legislation, you know, particularly in the era that it was introduced. What was so special about this at the time when it came uh, into being in 1970? Why? What was, you know, unprecedented? Well, I think mostly it's broad scope. Um, it's, it's administration, the fact that it was a, a regional, a state program implemented at a regional uh, level with state oversight. Um, the, the fact that it was citizen-based, both at the regional level and at the, at the appellate level. And, yeah. and, and explain what you mean by citizen-based. How could citizens use this law? Well, it, 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 it's um, administered as it was originally adopted by nine district commissions who were appointed by, made up of three members appointed by the governor and was overseen by an environmental board, which was uh, comprised of nine citizens from various walks of life and professional backgrounds, also appointed by the governor. Um, and that administration included hearing appeals of the local district commission decisions. So it, it was it was citizen-based, and also citizens had access to the program. If you had a large project next door to you or in your community and you and a group of your neighbors were concerned about it, concerned about what those impacts uh, on your property and on your community might be, you had the right to petition to the district commission to allow them to give you a seat at the table and, and participate in the local review process or that regional review process. Now, Peter Walk, that citizen role has been uh – both the the strength and the the bane for developers of the Act 250 process. So, what was the piece of this? What was the problem that you were trying to fix in the last year or so, as uh, the Scott administration took a look at how to improve Act or update Act 250? Sure, I actually don't. It's not the it's not the sort of citizen engagement piece that we saw as a challenge. Lots of people see that as a challenge, but frankly, that's part of the DNA of Act 250 and wasn't part of our proposal. The idea was to keep that level of citizen engagement 
and have that be core to the program because it is looking in areas where other programming and other permitting processing isn't isn't happening. So um, that actually wasn't part of it. I think the the thing that we heard most often, and I think lots of legislators do as well, is is challenges around sort of consistent, uh, timely, fair application of the law. As you saw, those criteria are wide ranging, and they're they're written fairly subjectively, intentionally to have the um, they them to create a discussion, if you will, around how to address those issues. But as anybody who's trying to to build something or do something knows, you kind of need those specifics in order to know how it's it's you know, what you need to do to be able to comply. Most of the people we talk to what would love to be in compliance, they just need to be told how. Um, and so I think having uh, some consistent application of those criteria, even as they are subjective, is really important. And so that 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 was one of our defining objectives as we thought about this process. And I think it's important to talk about sort of how we got here and where we are in this moment. In 2017, the legislature passed Act 47, um, which uh, was the sort of Act 250 at 50 years. Bill created a commission process with six legislative members on it to review and had a series of, of technical advisors, of which believe I believe the NRC was one, certainly the Agency of Natural Resources was another, and there are many others from both state agencies and, and the public uh, to participate in the process to advise those six members of the legislature on sort of areas that, that could use strengthening and fixing within the Act 250 process. Um, and so it, it, it then went into the legislature as a draft bill that the House Natural Resources Committee started taking up last year. And it was um, in this, this past summer that, that the administration and VNRC started to sit down to say, are there areas that we can, um, we can offer where we believe that there's consensus on some of these issues and to tackle these issues in a way that is, that, um, that, that, could get to some significant progress and meaningful progress when um when frankly if you if you start trying to open up the entire sort of can of worms that that can be the sort of activity process and the issues that people have raised and all those things around it it is just there's a there's a lot to it and um so we so tried to see if there were opportunities to sort of narrow some of that focus to to get to get through the legislative projects and get something done you're listening to the Vermont Conversation. We're talking about Act 250 at 50 years. Our guests are Peter Walk. He's the commissioner of the Department of Environmental Conservation. And Brian Shoup. He's the executive director of the Vermont Natural Resources Council. If you want to join this conversation, if you have your own thoughts or experiences with dealing with Act 250 or development review laws in Vermont, you can join us at 244-1777. Brian Shoup, um, for a long time, opening the Act 250 box is something that environmental groups, including VNRC, um, simply resisted. They did not want to start tinkering uh, for fear of losing big pieces instead of just small modifications. Uh, why did VNRC at this point in time feel that it was uh, the right time to make some changes? Um, for several reasons. As you mentioned, Act 250 is 50 years old. Um, it was created at a time of, of high uh, uh, growth pressures in the state. Um, it was created at a time when many of the contemporary uh, environmental challenges facing the state weren't widely recognized. Uh, forest fragmentation, climate change, really kind of sprawling commercial development patterns. Um, so we felt as though, and the, many in the legislature agreed, that it was time to kind of revisit that to make sure that it's addressing the challenges of today, not just the challenges of 1970. Um, also, some of the changes that have occurred to the law over the years, um, we feel, have, have weakened it to the point where it's, it's not serving the, the purpose that it was intended to in the state. And, and most notably, in 2004, uh, the law was changed, and I, I described the environmental board, and that was eliminated. So. The program was designed as a, as a vertically, vertically integrated system. You had the district commissions, the environmental board, and those environmental board decisions on appeal were going uh, headed up to the Supreme Court. In 04, the environmental board was eliminated. A natural resources board was created that has administrative oversight over the district commissions, but but very little kind of um, uh, 
it's very difficult for them to provide any type of guidance or interpretation, which which was a core function of the environmental board. And appeals instead are sent to the environmental court or the environmental division of the superior court, who is um, ruled by uh, controlled by judges. You don't have that broad perspective of uh, experience and perspective that the um, environmental board offered. So you aren't having the same kind of, of, of policy application in their decision-making process that the environmental board have, kind of helping to interpret um, the various criteria and provide that guidance to district commissions. And the court is, is a very inaccessible process. We talked about the, the citizen access of Act 250 as being one of its kind of core tenets, and we've lost that with the court. So you, now you have these three different entities who are all related to one another, but it's, they're not really functionally working well together. Um, so we wanted to look if, if there were opportunities to fix that as well. So we have different environmental challenges, um, Act 250 not addressing many of those challenges, and then the kind of disconnect between the different players that um, are all kind of uh, undermining the process, or at least undermining it to the extent that it was intended. Peter Walk, um, explain the reforms that were proposed in the legislature this year, and take us right up to this week, what's become of it. Well, I, we won't go through all of the reforms that that we proposed or they've discussed because we would that would take up the remainder of the time. I think so. We we tackled a number of issues to try to address um, a, uh, a number of features. There, the big portions of Act Two Fifty that often get discussed are sort of how are the decision, how is the decision making process happen, how is the appeals process happening. So, what does the structure of the organization look like? There are questions of jurisdiction. So. When do you know when you have to have an Act 250 permit? And then there are questions around um, what the criteria are and whether there are updates there. And so we looked at, then there's a sort of fourth level of, of permitting conditions and, and, and sort of how those decisions are made. But we looked primarily when we were um, thinking about through things, I think the jurisdiction and criteria questions were really at at front of mind, um, and then we arrived at a decision, at a, a sort of joint agreement around the structure of decision making. Um, one of the things from the jurisdictional perspective that we heard a lot, um, and there have been bills to seek to address in um, the past, have been um, around forest fragmentation and uh, issues of ha habitat connectivity. And so um, we proposed, along with VNRC, to to make some adjustments to what might trigger uh, an Act 250 review under certain criteria. And one of those was if you have a development that is encroaching on a forest block with a road that and a road and combination of driveways that is more than 2,000 feet in cumulative length, that that would trigger Act 250 as a way to make sure that 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 the development could move forward if it if it sort of it met the appropriate standard. Um, but sort of working through those processes. One of the key features was um, looking at trying to promote uh, smart growth development in our downtowns and areas where we have the ability to accept that growth. Um, and so downtown and uh, downtowns and what are known as neighborhood development areas. So designated downtowns is a state program. Another state program is a neighborhood development area, which is a watered and sewered area. So where there is sort of potential for growth and the and a community has gone through a planning process, that that is an area where we sort of want to see that activity occur because we've said that this is sort of meets our general criteria. And those would be, under our proposal, would be exempt fully from Act 250. And that as a way to, um, to, to encourage that activity in w places where we can have sort of walkable, bikeable communities um, occur. So that was, those are big portions of it. There are a number of other pieces. We, we did a lot of updating of the criteria um, to address the way we, we look at the science of floodplain and river corridor management. Um, there were updates to address some of the concerns around uh, habitat connectivity and forest blocks in the in criterion eight which you described as sort of that was the aesthetics piece so there's another component there um there are a number of other potential issues but i think the board structure is sort of where the controversy is largely lied so i can right. describe that if you if you yeah like. so the the reform package proposed having major projects reviewed 
by a three-member professional board rather than the nine district commissions. Yep. That seemed to have triggered some pushback from sure. the House. Sure. So what, what we proposed was a concept of saying of the – you know, sort of 400 plus permits a year that that um, that Act 250 gets, and most of those are either minor permits or amendments to existing permits. Um, though of those, there are about 40 a year that are these major permits, and a major permit is effectively designed to, defined as one where a a hearing is requested, right? So where there is some public involvement. For the other ones, they're relatively small in nature. And they go through, and the 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 staff support, which are known as the district coordinators, do sort of work with the district commissions to approve those those minor permits. So these, for these major permits, uh, what we've seen in different in in different situations is is the criteria can be applied differently in different parts of the state. There can be um, ways in which different district commissions sort of run their processes and, and, and have different outcomes. And the idea was for those major permits, there we, we felt that there was an opportunity to make sure that there was sort of consistent application of the law across the state, but with also with that sort of citizen participation that we talked about. So in, in the model that we originally discussed, there was um, there there was only there was the three member board, but then each time a permit was considered, so say it was here in Waterbury, the the representate there would be two members of the local region to sit on that board with the three full time members. And these would be lay. They people. would be lay people who who could could represent that that sort of local perspective and help provide that input. And oh by the way, the hearing would be in Waterbury, so that citizens could still have that full participation. Um, You're saying this is in the old system, or this is what we this system? is what we proposed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Brian, what? Yeah, uh, why oh, did that hit such a political uh, nerve? Well, it, oh yeah, it it, it did. Um, I'm going to clarify a couple things. One, just to be clear, um, the district commissions did not go away under that bill, and as as um, Peter said, they would uh, still be responsible for. Uh, issuing decisions in about 80% of the app for about 80% of the applications, the minor minors, and then two of those district commission members would be joined by the professional board. And our concern wasn't as much inconsistency. That's that's um, I understand where the administration was coming from, but we feel it's a little bit. Um, there's there's other problems that have grown over time, and and one of them is. The district commissions are are they're paid 50 bucks a hearing, and as projects have Come, become more complicated um, and just more complicated in, in a lot of different ways, more technical. They require a lot a lot of different um, types of technical analysis. And we've it's more and more difficult for the district commissions to do the job that, that we want them to do. And several district commissioners are, um, testified to this effect have, have raise that concern. It's very difficult to attract the district commissioners because it is unpaid and it's a lot of burden on, on a person not only to show up at a hearing that might take two or three hours, uh, but to, to read the stack of technical documents that's um, required of them. Um, and then we've also, and this is, a, I think, a problem throughout state government, but we've really kind of been bleeding our our. Um, natural resource board and the district commissions dry over the years. They're not, haven't gotten a raise in I don't know how long. Um, they don't have the technical and staff support that they need to do the job that they want. Um, so this idea of kind of getting this a, a professional board who would be full-time, would have the time to do their job, combine them with the district commission to conduct that review, we thought preserve the best elements of the old system with a more modern system. Now, why it was more controversial, I think that, um, and we've said this, that the, the district commissions are a unique feature of Act 250. Um, they are, of, of the remaining pieces, I mentioned that Natural Resources Board, the, the Superior Court, and the district commissions, the district commissions are the one that works, works best out of all of those. Um, but we continue to be concerned that they don't have that, that guidance from their uh, from the, that the environmental board provided, 
and they don't have the resources, um, and they're not given the resources uh, to do the job that they want. So um, I think a lot of people very understandably felt as though um, this was taking away the last good piece of Act 250. Um, we feel as though it was, it was a, a significant change that would have improved the process. And that disagreement um, you know, is, is still playing out. So we're going to be taking a break in just a couple minutes for the news. But Peter Walk, bring us up to date this week. Act 250 is in the news for what happened in the legislature. So explain. Sure. And you'll have to forgive me that I I might not be as close to this as Brian might. So Brian, correct me if I'm getting this wrong. I've In my switching of roles, I've had to step back a little bit from the day-to-day in the legislature on Act 250. Um, from But from a basic construct, the... Uh, legislature has determined to, so it passed out of the House Natural Resources Committee with a, with a sort of version of that new board structure that we've talked about. Um, it since then went to the House Ways and Means and House Appropriations Committees. Um, and, and my understanding is the House Appropriations Committee, well, the Ways and Means took out some of the funding pieces that would enable uh, the different parts of the bill to, to occur. And then the um, Appropriations Committee struck the board, uh, the change to the board structure altogether. Um, so so I, I, I will correct you. This thanks. Is, this is a little bit a little bit wonky, David, but um, it went to the Ways and Means Committee, and um, Janet Ansel, chair of Ways and Means, um, was very clear that she did not feel as though she could support this change, and she struck the funding, um, which would make the implementation of the board impossible. So it actually went back to the House Committee on Natural Resources, Fish and Wildlife, and they stripped out this new structure and returned it to the district commission process that exists now. All right. Well, we're going to uh, continue this conversation after taking a short break for the news. You're listening to the Vermont Conversation. We're talking about Act 250 at 50 years. Our guests are Brian Shoup from Vermont Natural Resources Council and Peter Walk, the commissioner of the Department of Environmental Conservation. I'm David Goodman. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman is brought to you by Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility and by Vermont Student Assistance Corporation, Green Mountain Power, Concept 2, Norwich Solar Technologies, The Alchemist Brewery, Let's Grow Kids, UVM Medical Center, and nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. We're spending the hour this week talking about Act 250, Vermont's signature land use and environmental law that is now celebrating its 50th anniversary. And to talk about this, we're joined by Brian Shoup, the executive director of the Vermont Natural Resources Council, or VNRC, and Peter Walk, the commissioner of the Department of Environmental Conservation. Just before the break, uh, Brian Shoup was bringing us up to date as of the last 48 hours on the status of reforms that were being considered by the legislature. And Brian, is it uh, an overstatement to say that the Act 250 reform reform package has now died? No, it hasn't. It's now very different than what it was. I think the, the portion of it that we were just talking about, um, the restructuring of the governance process, um, it, that has been taken away, that it, now we're returned to the status quo, and essentially, on how the program would be administered. But the criteria changes, the jurisdictional changes that were talked about, the, um, the, the, the greater jurisdiction to capture some of the forest and, and uh, natural area fragmentation that's occurring are in there, the, uh, the exemptions in the, the designated areas, the, smart, the, the downtowns and the neighborhood development areas remains in there, the criteria changes remain. So there is a package moving forward. Um, I think the change is it had we had uh, uh, hoped that there would be a, uh, a more bipartisan or tripartisan um, support for the bill, and, and that might have changed. So um, I want to step back, uh, Brian, and talk about the unlikely bedfellows that this compromise uh, has required. Uh, Very often, VNRC is on the opposite side of the table of the administration, and traditionally, uh, Republican administrations have been – there's been a little more 
adversarial a relationship. Uh, so this, when it came out with VNRC teaming with the Scott administration, uh, the optics were surprising. Talk about how that came about. Well, first, uh, I just want to state that we are a nonpartisan organization, and you're correct that we have been on opposite sides of the tables on, from the Scott administration on a variety of issues. I, I, I would uh, go further to say that we've been on the opposite side of the table of Democratic uh, uh, administrations, uh, maybe not equally as much, but often. Um, but having said that, we are willing to work with anyone who... Um, May have common ground with us, and you know we're we're not we're not a Republican organization, a Democratic organization, or a or a, uh, a progressive organization. We are a nonpartisan organization, and um, it looked last year like the uh, House Committee on Natural Resources was putting together a strong bill that would in- inevitably be vetoed by the governor. Um, they didn't make that threat, but it was fairly clear that it would lack the support of the administration and, and many of their uh, colleagues in the legislature. So when Peter and the governor's office reached out to us and said, you know, there is more common ground, uh, we've identified through the committee process and through the, the prior commission process that Peter described, will you talk to us? Of, of course we will. We'll we are willing to, to see if we uh, can reach agreement with, with anyone. Um, sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. So it was kind of a no-brainer to us to say, sure, we'll talk to you. And when we had those initial talks, we said, yeah, we agree to this, we agree to that, maybe we can work this out. Um, we didn't agree on everything, and some things there were some compromises on, but we felt that was a good approach to have uh, a broadly supported bill move forward. Um, ultimately, that didn't happen, but... Um, you know, it, it, it shouldn't come as a big surprise that we're willing to talk to somebody uh, or talk to an administration. Maybe it is surprising that we reached agreement. Has the environmental community lined up with you in favor of these reforms, by and large? Um, several organizations uh, su- were in support of it. Um, Audubon, Vermont, just sent out a letter a couple of days ago to the legislature supporting it. Uh, our process wasn't just working with the administration, and I, I want to be really clear about that. We reached out to a lot of people. We re- reached out to a lot of organizations, um, you know, Conservation Law Foundation, Preservation Trust of Vermont, uh, uh, energy groups to talk about climate and energy criteria. Uh, we reached out to um, current and former district commissioners, district uh, district commissioners, um, district coordinators, the folks who staff those commissions, um, former members of the Natural Resources Board, former chairs of the Environmental uh, Board, uh, a lot of the folks in the planning community in the state. And the, the package that was developed, while we never represented uh, it being anybody's position other than VNRC's, um, uh, benefited from a lot of information from a lot of our, our friends. Peter Walk, um, I want to put the same question to you. What was the key in your mind to uh, two groups that are often adversaries, the environmental community and the administration, uh, agreeing to move ahead together with these reforms to an issue within the environmental community, Act 250, which has often been the third rail politically? Sure. I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head with describing it as the third rail. If we're going to get substantive work done, then we needed to sit down and work together. Um, I think the I would frame sort of our relationship with the environmental community a lot different. I think we the areas of agreement are largely dwarf the areas of disagreement, and, and there's always opportunities to sit down, and, and this isn't the first instance, which we will, or and we will continue to do with VNRC and other environmental organizations where there's common ground that can be reached. Um, so I, I, I think that's a little bit different. I would take a small uh, uh, exception to Brian's suggestion that the governor was preparing to veto the bill last year. I don't think the bill really ever materialized as to what it fully wanted to be last year. Um, and so there were areas where we knew where we wanted some to, to get some work done and some potential changes to that bill that uh, led us to want to work together. But I think we were a long way away from any sort of suggestion of of the use of the veto. No, I would agree with that, David, just to be clear. There were many, many holes in the bill last year, so it wasn't like there was a uh, um, a package ready to go. And, and um, I don't think the administration ever 
threatened veto, but it was clear they had a lot of heartburn about a lot of the things that were in it. So, out of curiosity, uh, Peter Walk, um, the House Natural Resources Committee had pretty much a straight party line vote with all of the Republicans lined up against this bill from a Republican administration. What happened? So uh, I just want to be clear that the bill, the bill, the underlying bill uh, that they were working on was actually the bill that they were working on last year. They included elements of the compromise language that 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 VNRC and the administration worked on, but it wasn't. They didn't take our package and and pass that. That wasn't the that wasn't the outcome. Just just to, to sort of lay it so. There was existing work that had been done by the committee well in advance of of our our efforts to try to find agreement, and so they built on the package of work that they'd already done. Um, I think there was concerns from 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 different parts of that. I think we made clear from the administration what we sort of wanted to see as critical elements of the bill, and those some of those pieces weren't in there and so i i'm sure that that was part of the reason why the vote was the way it was it was you know there was the all the republicans who were present uh voted against the bill and then one democrat voted against it as well so um it it was it was a fairly contentious vote coming out i think if all the members had been there it would have been six five in favor of of sending it out so that's indicative of of the the sort of the challenge of of making changes to as as big and important a piece of uh statute as act 250 is brian shoop are we asking too much of act 250 can one law address all of the environmental and land use issues facing vermont that now as you noted embraces climate change sprawl loss of farmland clean air, clean water, traffic, aesthetics, quarries, recreational trails, flooding, forest protection, and the future of our rural economies? Uh, we are, um, in, in a way, but I think we need to remember that Act 250 only addresses the largest projects um, a lot. And one of the reasons we were hoping to move forward to the changes is to capture more development. It actually um, isn't capturing many of the things that are stressing the state's uh, environment. Having said that, um, as Peter noted, we do have a lot of other laws in place that didn't exist when Act 250 was created, not only state permitting, but our our, our um, municipal and regional planning and zoning has gotten better. It's, it's far from perfect. Uh, we have the state designation programs that uh, are identifying those areas that are most appropriate for development. And this update of Act 250 was a, an attempt to align it with what's happened over the past 50 years. What uh, is next for Act 250? Well, I expect that the House is going to vote on the bill um, in the next couple of days. Uh, it's uh, it's the bill that has a lot of good environmental protections in it. It has the the updated criteria, the the new protections for um, forest and wildlife, the jurisdictional changes, which are also intended to uh, better address uh, um, that fragmenting development that's happening. It has uh, new protections for higher elevation development, some some safeguards for development around interchange areas. Um, it's a, it's a solid package. It uh, hopefully will be voted out of the House, and then we'll see what the Senate will do with it. And uh, Peter Walk, you came to your current job from the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. Well, I came to my current job from being the Deputy Secretary of the Agency of Natural Resources. But before that, yes. So from an outsider's perspective, from somebody looking from the, ver the New York side of the lake, what did Act 250 mean to you over there? What to you know to other people in this field? Um, so I, I I am more of an outsider in New York. I actually grew up in Montpelier, so grew up in Vermont. Um, I happened to have a sojourn in through New York uh, state government and uh, understand the process and the way it works there. There are some analogies to the way uh, development happens in the Adirondacks and the Catskills. Um, that is is similar, but frankly, I sort of grew up with this sort of understanding of the DNA of Act 250, and in in many ways, Act 250 is as much lore as it is uh, as it is actual carrying out of per permitting work. Most of the 
people, uh, most of Vermonters haven't actually had any inter- direct interaction with the Act 250 process. Um, and they understand it's sort of its perceived value. And, and I think with anything that we hold in that sort of status, we need to make sure that we're fully valuing it for the right reasons. And I think that this was a great opportunity, this process that's been going on for the last few years to say, is this living up to what we expect it to do? Can it handle the myriad of challenges that you've you've sort of laid out as as the are we asking too much? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important to make sure that we don't idolize something with it without sort of taking a critical view from time to time. We have a caller on the line. Tim is calling from Rochester. Tim, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm I'm a little confused. Um, Act 250 came in in the 70s, and what has happened to our industry and manufacturing, our population, our student count, our taxes since then? Putting more regulations into another Act 250 uh, proposal What's going to happen in the next 50 years? Your, your people just said that they're trying to push people toward the cities. It would take 4,750-gallon sewage tanks to disrupt Lake Champlain like it does every time it rains and their system doesn't work and dumps raw sewage into the lake. It doesn't make any sense that we're putting more regulations onto the rural taxpayers in the state of Vermont. And I'll hang up and listen to that because there's just no way you can explain that out. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Which one of you would like to take a stab at that? Well, I, I think um, Peter just said that the, the law of Act 250 is, is greater than it, it, it is. I, I, I would not blame Act 250 for... Um, demographic trends in the state or for how we're managing our wastewater treatment facilities. Um, I will say that in the um, every time there's an economic downturn, uh, there's a certain uh, uh, segment of, of our population that kind of turns and points a finger at Act 250. In the early 90s, that was happening, and there was an MIT professor who did a study to look at how um, development occurred, how housing prices looked at a, a whole a whole number of indicators about economic progress and found that Act 250 um, had been effective in, uh, and not only, it, it was not a, a uh, drag on Vermont's economy, it was actually effective in maintaining its, um, our, our values, our economic um, values during, during downtimes, that we didn't, we didn't have booms as high as New Hampshire did, but we didn't have busts as low as they did. And it actually had a stabilizing influence on, the, um, on our economy. Um, you know, the, we, the state is facing a lot of pr- challenges with wastewater treatment plants. Uh, rural America and northern New England are facing challenges on demographic changes, but I, I'm certainly not going to put the blame on Act 250. I would argue that Act 250 has been effective in maintaining our brand as a state um, to a degree. Hmm. Peter Walk? Sure. I, I largely agree with Brian. I think the idea we were trying to accomplish was to make sure that this, the package of, of proposals that we put together um, spoke to all 251 towns in the state of Vermont and to make sure that there was an opportunity for some some ability to address some of the concerns that have been raised. We One of the areas of focus that we've had is on um, conditioning around forest, pro- forest products processing facilities. Um, to, to put that into sort of context there, we, as we deal with a changing climate, there are, there's a sort of shortened period of time that, that those sorts of businesses can, can process logs and, and turn them into whatever product they're, they're whether it's firewood or wood chips or, or furniture. Um, we need to get those logs out of the woods faster because there's fewer days where there's frozen ground in order for a, for a log truck to be able to go in the wintertime and then more spring and fall flooding events and all those sort of things that makes it really difficult. And so to create opportunities for those businesses to exist and to support the rural economy in a way that doesn't infringe upon uh, local property rights was something that we were trying to work through. And that ultimately is part of the package um, and that that is going forward. And, and we're pleased to see that part of it because it is a meaningful change for, for parts of the rural economy, for sure. 
We have another caller on the line. Marsha is calling from Barrie. Marsha, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. What is your question? Thanks, David. Hi. I'm I'm calling because I'm con- concerned about the um, about the possible sac- sacrifice of Act 250 cri- cri- criteria on the, the the increase in housing development in towns and. Um, and I wanted to know what what pro what pro prohibited um, this 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 expanse of home building prior to to the amendments that you'd like 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 to enact now, and if if and if they're passed, what would happen to burdening of of water of water and sewage when? When uh, when more de- de- development takes place, that is my my concern. Uh, Peter Wall, sure. So there. So thank you for your question, Marcia. I think the the issues associated with housing are somewhat uh, distinct from the pieces that we worked on because there exists now um, support for what are called priority housing projects under the Act 250 process in order to make sure that low income uh, and and moderate income housing can be built in a way that addresses the the housing pressures we have around the state. Um, Certainly dealing with uh, water and wastewater capacity issues is hugely important. Um, but we have not seen, um, other than in parts of Chittenden County, significant growth in population that's putting significant pressure on on those systems. And we will, you know, we, we, there's not a situation where we would allow, as the sort of environmental regulator in the state, the environmental Department of Environmental Conservation, the expansion of a of a municipalities beyond their capacity to handle that 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 load. So. Hmm. Um. Brian Shoup, I'm wondering as you look forward, is um, will there be an appetite to take up the issues uh, of Act 250 reform again in the near future? Uh, we'll, I'm going to wait and see what happens with this bill bef- before we decide that. Um, you know, one alter- alternative, and, and uh, we mentioned earlier that the chair of the Ways and Means Committee mentioned uh, she, she wasn't crazy about the proposal to restructure the, the uh, board, talked about uh, returning to the um, uh, a variation of the old environmental board. Um, somebody might try to move that forward in the future. Uh, I don't think that's likely going to happen in the near term. Um, I don't think it's likely it's going to happen uh, until there's change in administration and change probably in the legislature. So um, I, I think we've uh, uh, felt like... Um, um, you know, we've made a, made a good effort this year, and we're going to have a bill on the floor in the next day or so, and we'll see what happens after that. Uh, Peter Walk, what do you what do you believe would be a change, or or perhaps preserving uh, something in Act Two Hundred and Fifty that would be most critical for ensuring its long term relevance and usefulness? Um, so one of the things that we've uh, that that we proposed as part of the package, and I think, is it's just sort of recognition of the interaction between the different permitting processes that occur now in the state versus what they did 50 years ago. Many of the ways in which the initial the sort of criteria that you speak to are addressed is by an applicant showing that they have. Uh, one of our permits from the D, from the DEC, and so to make sure that that process is as coherent as effective as possible is really important. And that there, were, we proposed some modest changes and a and a process to study how that could interact better going forward. And I think that would be really important. Um, like Brian, I, I think we, this bill hasn't even gotten to the floor yet um, in the House in the first body it's supposed to go through. I, there's going to be lots more discussion about this in the Senate. The Senate is taking this up effectively cold after the House the House committee that, that took it up has been looking at it for essentially a session and a half. Um, so they're going to have all sorts of new questions and ideas that we're going to have to talk through and see what their interests are. We have another caller on the line. This will be probably end our show. Is Pat from Stockbridge. Pat, uh, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Good afternoon. I'm wondering, I have a piece of property that um, is in Act 250, 
And because of the restrictions that I have on that property, I am considering uh, taking the property out of Act 250 and turning it into a residential property. Um, the general consensus when I mention that to people is, oh, you can never get a property out of Act 250. Uh, what is the procedure for doing that? Is it, is it possible for me to take a commercial building, turn it into a residential building, and have the Act 250 cloud lifted from it? So that when I sell it, it's probably worth more as a residential building as, than a commercial. Thank you. We, we have just a minute left, and I'm thinking that is a kind of technical question that is relevant mostly to, to you. So if there's a quick answer, or where, uh, Peter, where you would direct her to get those an- questions answered. Sure, I would direct you to the, either your, your local uh, district uh, coordinator or to the Natural Resources Board to, to talk that through. But the, the, the process of releasing a permit from Act 250 has been something that's part of the bill that's moving forward now, and that would be a fairly significant change in order to make sure that, that there was clarity there uh, for where, where the use that where a permit was acquired is no longer there. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. I want to thank both of you, Brian Shoup, the Executive Director of Vermont Natural Resources Council, and Peter Walk, the Commissioner of the Department of Environmental Conservation. Thanks, both of you, for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, thank you, David. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this in all shows at vermontconversation.com. You can tune in next Wednesday at 1 for another Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening. The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Green Mountain Power, delivering clean, cost-effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting-edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. The Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp, using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high-quality, affordable child care in Vermont to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club and nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit.